Many of us are focused on improving our physical health, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we want to talk to you about your spiritual fitness here on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. We'll explain in just a moment. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your love. Someone said, it's character that gets us out of bed and commitment that moves us to action. But it's discipline that keeps us going. Discipline, now that's a problem for many of us. Well, we'll get some help today on Growing Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. We want to welcome you. We're so glad you've joined us. And in 1 Timothy chapter 4, we get into the subject of spiritual fitness and how it's attained, even in our day today. So we invite you, if you can, join us there. And again, 1 Timothy chapter 4 is the place to be. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, Paul writes, Now the Spirit expressly says, Then in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot brand, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God or the command of God and prayer. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ or minister, nourished in the words of faith and of good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wives' fables, and exercise yourself towards godliness. Train yourself to be godly. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. Let's stop there and pray. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us now uh, from these words written 2,000 years ago almost, and we ask that you would help us apply them now in our own lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Train yourself to be godly, an interesting command. Well, uh, we're only six weeks into the new year, and New Year's, of course, are the time where a lot of us resolve to take better care of ourselves, to exercise, to eat right, to maybe shed those extra pounds we uh, gathered together at the holidays. Paul says, exercise profits a little. So many of us um, struggle to be as fit as we can. We try and eat right, at least keep, you know, the number of donuts consumed a week to less than a dozen, you know, those, those kind of things. We resolve to do things. I read an article this week about a professional trainer who suggests that a gymnasium may not be the best place to lose weight. 
And he said, really, home is the best place. And he suggested that you use things at home to do different kinds of exercise, like a toolbox to step up on. And really, just a, a long list of things, jump ropes and chairs, and even lifting grocery bags, isometrics. And his whole point was that you don't have to spend a lot of money to get in shape. He said, exercise is a matter of will <laughs> and not wealth. Uh, amen. The same principle applies to spiritual fitness. That's the subject Paul interjects into his letter to this young pastor almost 2,000 years ago who was pastoring his first church in the city of Ephesus, a very difficult city to work in. Spiritual fitness is achieved through what we're doing here, through studying God's Word. Now, it also doesn't require a lot. Bible commentaries and dictionaries and other books are helpful, but the reality is all you really need is the Holy Spirit and this book, the Bible, and God will teach us. Exercise, practice, discipline, same word, the Greek language, is the key to becoming proficient. We recognize that in other areas. We recognize its uh, proficiency to play a musical instrument, to do various tasks like mathematics or, or play a sport, basketball, golf, bowling, whatever it is. You have to work at it. You have to spend some time practicing it. In fact, practice is the, the particular thing that separates those who are very proficient, those who are able to do well, and versus the herd, you know, the rest who are just uh, not committed to it, the also-rans. Paul said that it's also true in spiritual matters, and it's doubly true because we tend towards deterioration. Entropy is working in the world. That means everything is running down, and certainly we have to keep fighting against it in our own spiritual lives because we have a natural tendency to not be drawn to spiritual things. This is why Paul says to Timothy, train yourself to be godly, godliness. It is a Greek word, this exercise or train, that comes from where we get our word gymnasium from. So it really is written into the language of this. Exercise, work out, train yourself to the purpose of godliness. Now, godliness is an important subject in this short letter. The word appears 15 times in the New Testament, nine of those times in this one letter. 13 times in the three letters, the pastoral epistles, 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus, but nine of the appearances of the word godliness are injected into this short letter, the first one to Timothy. This section breaks up into these three parts. First three verses reject legalism, which is an interesting thing to be put up against discipline. Receive with thanksgiving foods, verse four through six, really, all things that God has created, and then win from within, seven through nine, that it's really an issue of the heart and our mind, not so much externals. So it's an interesting section that have these two thoughts kind of juxtapositioned against each other. No legalism, but do the acts that would lead towards becoming more like God. All right, let's jump in and see what God might say to you. Another section that, you know, a wise pastor would just kind of jump over and ignore, but no, we're plowing right in, so fasten your seatbelts. Now, the 
Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Another translation, now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith and they'll follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from hell, from the demons themselves. So, Paul is repeating to Timothy something that he already said to the rest of the elders at Ephesus. You'll remember that Paul was in Ephesus for three years, then he left, went on a missionary journey. When he came back down the coast of Turkey, modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor, he stopped at Miletus and he called for all the elders from Ephesus to come, and he spoke to them in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, and here's what he said. Take heed for yourselves and to all the flock among whom which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So. In the latter days, now this is not the same thing as the last days. This is a unique Greek word that only appears here once in the New Testament. The term last days appears 54 times. This is after Paul has gone. He recognizes that this is going to happen. And he said, careful, study God's word, spend time in it. And you and I are to do the same things because there are people that are saying things about Christ, about a relationship with him, about Christianity that are in error. So how do we act against that? Well, the Bereans in Acts 17, 11, it says they were more noble than the others who had listened to Paul, and they went back and searched the scripture daily to see if the things he said were true. And you should do that. Even everything I'm trying to get across today, check it out. See if this guy knows what he's talking about or he's somewhere off in la-la land. And and I'm not the least bit offended. In fact, I'm excited when somebody comes up to me like they did last service and said, you know, last week you said this, this, and this. I said, yes, I did. Well, what about this scripture? And I love that. that. That means he went back and he went through the scriptures to see if it was true. Do the same thing. That's how we grow. Doctrines of demons. This is the only place in these three letters First and Second Timothy and Titus, where the word demons are used. Paul is saying that these things are directed from hell. You have an enemy, I have an enemy, and he is trying to take us down. All that hassle you went through this week, it was hell coming against you, your family, what you're trying to do with your life. And God wants us to be spiritually aware. We're supposed to walk circumspectly. We're supposed to see the big picture all around and understand that we are in a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6, you put on the armor of God, expect it. Don't expect to get out scot-free. The minute you start moving towards God, hell comes against you. You're not paranoid. I mean, you might be paranoid too, but just because you're paranoid doesn't mean it's not true, right? That somebody is trying to get you. They are, and his name is Satan. A behind-the-scenes look Pastor Ed Ray is giving us on today's Grow in Grace concerning the battle raging around us. As we continue, Pastor Ed gives us more background on what was going on there in Ephesus. It may sound familiar. What do they do when they come? There's two things. 
Paul said were happening there at Ephesus, verse 2, speaking lies and hypocrisy and having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. So there's these men that came there that were teaching, and they were hypocrites, hypocritically lie speakers. Literally, it says in the Greek language, a hypocrite is somebody that puts on a different face, right? The actor in a Greek tragedy would put up a little face that would show when he was happy or sad so that the people in the audience would know he wasn't being sarcastic, he was really sad, that sort of thing. But there are people then, hmm, still to this day, who say one thing and do another. Paul's specifically talking about religious leaders, people who are teaching, people who are putting themselves in a place of authority. We should be aware of that. That's what he's telling Timothy, and nothing's changed in 2,000 years. They say one thing, they do another. They say the right things. In fact, they tend to overstate, and they act in ways that seem, oh, so holy, you know? They don't say amen, they say amen. And it has like 22 syllables to it, you know? My favorite one is glory, glory. And you go, wow, that guy must really be holy. (laughs) Maybe not. Uh, Maybe there's something else going on here. And their conscience are seared. They are saying things that they know are a lie, and they do it anyway with no fear of God or man. Paul says they are desensitized, that their conscience is seared, and he uses a word where we get our word cauterized, that we are cauterizing a certain wound, a bleeding, a bleed in a, in a surgery. Doctors, dentists, vets use cauterizing tools that really just heat up the area and stops the flow, but it causes a scar, and scars have less nerve endings in them. If you have a scar somewhere, you feel differently. The nerve endings are pushed back down there into the surface by keratin. You don't need to know that anyway. You get the idea. <laughs> scar tissue has little feeling. That's what he's saying. Their conscience has no feeling. Verse 3, forbidding to marry two things. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods. This is where I start to offend some people, and I really don't mean to. We're just dealing with the Scriptures here, all right? So in Ephesus, 2,000 years ago, men came in and said, if you really want to be holy... If you really want to get close to God, you remain celibate, you don't get married, and you don't eat certain foods, especially those things which the Old Testament says were unclean. Okay, so I grew up in a church that still says this to this day, that the pastor should not marry. I don't know why that is accepted when this verse could not be any clearer, but there it is. What he's basically talking about is legalism. He brings it out with these two ideas, one of what you eat versus whether marriage is good or not, and that somehow we think we can get closer to God by legalism. You need to deny, not eat certain foods and deny your flesh. Paul's going to come directly against this, and the idea here is that God created these things to bring us joy. It's a good thing that God has created. Notice verse 4. For every creature, the fauna, animals of God, is good. And nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. Pretty broad statement here. The old covenant dietary restrictions are gone. 
And Paul says, nothing is to be refused. All food is lawful. Peter had to learn this. If you were with us when we worked our way through the book of Acts in Acts chapter 10, Peter is down in Joppa and he's hungry. Peter was a mountain of a guy. They, uh, another historian said, a big guy, good appetite. And he goes up on the roof to pray because dinner's not ready yet and he falls asleep. And God gives him a vision, a big sheet it says, kind of like a sail from a sailboat comes down and it's filled with animals, all different kinds, all the ones that the Old Testament says you shouldn't eat. We've got pigs, we got bats, we got rattlesnakes, we got rodents, stuff, okay? And the voice says to him, take up, kill, and eat. And Peter says, no, 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 no. I'm a good Jewish boy. I know we don't eat stuff like that. Three times God says, don't call it common that which the Lord has made. That's what this is speaking to, that in fact, you are to receive these things with thanksgiving. Acts chapter 10, verse 15, and a voice spoke to him, Peter, again the second time, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times and the object was taken up into heaven. God was trying to move Peter from a legalistic relationship with Jesus to one of a personal relationship that the Holy Spirit was directing in his life. Everything is yours. Don't let anyone tell you that it's more spiritual to eat only vegetables. Jesus ate meat. Oh, oh no. He went to a Passover. Jews are required to eat the lamb at Passover. In Luke 24, he sat down with his disciples and he ate fish, it said. Now, we have, I'm sure most of us do, but in our family, we have couple of vegetarians. I love to torture them, okay? It's just, <laughs> right, that's, that's why they're there. That's why God gave them to us, so. <laughs> Fruits and vegetables, right? And, and we have one that's this like hyper-vegan, and she only eats live fruit, which I just love, because I said, you know, tomatoes have a galvanic skin response to pain. But yeah, you can put electrodes on cathode anode and watch the meter when you cut it. So I don't cut it in front of them. I take a bite out of it and put it in front of them. I said, listen, can you hear it screaming? <laughs> you gotta have fun with this. This is good stuff right here. So if it is received with Thanksgiving, which is an interesting covering. So in other words, there's some things that I wouldn't want to eat that are natural fauna in the world. I have a, a neighbor who passed away recently, but he loved rattlesnake. He loved a barbecue rattlesnake. And he would always bring me a piece down. I go, oh, no, 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 no thanks, George. That, that's just not for me. Uh, so you have to be able to say thank you for it. That's really what it's saying here. I can eat this. Thank you, Lord. But look at verse 5. It ties right in. For it is sanctified, set aside, consecrated by the word, and other translations say by the commandment of God in prayer. This is an interesting concept. Sanctified, of course, hagazizomo means to be set aside. You're being set aside right now. Faith comes by hearing the word. That in, you are in process. I am in process. God is moving us towards him, that we are being set aside more and more all through our lives for his use. Uh, we are a vessel for his use, and we get a little closer the more we come to God and listen to his word. He's talking about praying for food, right? He says, sanctified by the command of God in prayer. So when you and I say, say grace, as many call it, praying for our food, something happens. Now, 
in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, things, material things, were either holy or common. And if it was holy, it was sanctified, same word, it was set aside for use for God. If it was common, not so. But if you took something holy and touched it to something that was common, it became common. For example, if you took a fork from the, you were a priest working at the altar and you dropped the fork, it hits the ground, ground is common, it becomes unusable until you go through some rituals to make it sanctified, to make it not common anymore, to make it undesecrated, to consecrate it to the Lord. So that's what's going on here. So what was made common has become blessed by God. Now, it's a command by the command of God, and he's probably referring to Genesis 1, when God said, everything is good. I have commanded you, Genesis 1:29, give you every herb and every tree of every tree to eat. Now, this is where it locks some people up, but God is saying it is available. And when you pray, God covers it. I have a good friend who's a pastor, and anytime we eat a meal together and he prays, he always prays that God would take the calories out. It's not working for him or me, so that's not what God is talking about. Jesus blessed the food in Luke chapter 9 and 24, 30, but Paul is talking about something bigger here. He's saying what God has created, he's created for us. This is a very expansionist statement. God wants you to enjoy what he made. He made the earth and everything that's in it and said it is good, except for the man part, and then he said it's not good for him to be alone. But we understand that. So everything on this earth is good. God has set it aside, consecrated it to you and I. This is particularly about the area of marriage and the area of foods. But G.K. Chesterton got that. And here's this little poem he wrote on this verse. He said, you say grace before meals, that's good, that's right. But I say grace before the play and the opera, and I say grace before opening a book, before sketching, painting, swimming, fencing, boxing, walking, playing, dancing. I said grace before I dipped this pen in this ink to write what he was doing. That's the picture that Paul has in mind, I believe. He wants us to approach everything in life as it's by God. It was given by God. There is a time for self-denial and discipline. In fact, he's going to talk about it in the next few verses. But the general statement is God built it, this earth, for you, that he intended for you to enjoy double dark Dutch chocolate at the 31 flavors. That's a good thing. Well, too much of a good thing is a bad thing. You get a stomachache, right? But he's saying aestheticism to get closer to God is anathema. It's not of God. He's saying, enjoy what God has given you. A liberating perspective, Pastor Ed Ray wraps up with today on Growing Grace, freeing us to enjoy what God has given. Right now, we're in the midst of a study of 1 Timothy, and we hope you're enjoying that too. For a CD copy of today's message, call 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. Or listen online at thepackinghouse.org. And look for us on iTunes as well. 
we can hook you up with many more resources to help you grow in grace when you visit thepackinghouse.org, like Pastor Ed's devotional. Speaking of resources, today we'd like to make special mention of Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, authored by renowned surgeon Dr. Paul Brand and Philip Yancey. Together they explore the human body and uncover statements that God has made about our bodies. They point out that the human body is like a window into the very structure of God's creation and a testament to God's glory. This month, we'll send this to those of you who support Grow in Grace with a donation of any amount. You might think of it as our way of saying thanks. Please remember that your gifts help us to bring Pastor Ed's teachings to the radio every day. To make a year-end contribution, go online at thepackinghouse.org or call 844-77-GRACE. And it's a real blessing when we hear back from our listening audience. Whether it's a word of affirmation or a comment related to the study, a question or a prayer request, we want to hear from you. Drop us an email today. Our email address is packinghouseradio at aol.com. That's packinghouseradio at aol.com. And then join us next time as together we grow in grace through a study in First and Second Timothy with Pastor Ed Ray. May God richly bless you. This program is brought to you by the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said let this world know me by your